Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. <laughs> the espresso is kicking in. That was a good movie. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> Indeed. So today uh, we are talking about kiddos again. We've talked about this topic in the past, but uh, more specifically, I would love to get your take on um, the old, uh, you know, praying to receive Christ as a child and kind of in the context of, you know, personally, I remember being pretty little when I first did that. Um, but then you go to some kind of conference, a youth conference or something, and you hear about rededicating your life to Christ. Like, you know, all, all the altar calls would 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 be open to that and, and challenge non-believers to come down and, and believers to, to come down anyway and rededicate your life. And, um, you know, sometimes maybe you question if that's just not to, to get a bigger audience up front. Um, but really what's the validity of that and particularly in, in light of the marital gospel, you know, the, the comparison in my head, um, is a little bit like in America, uh, at least maybe in other places too, but definitely in America, we cherish and idolize this wedding day and we want these beautiful photos and you invite your best friends and their best friends to be in their massive bridal party. And uh, you have this whole scene and you really cherish this day. But then we have marriages that fall apart uh, afterwards. You know, it's like we, we forget marriage is not just about a day. And in a similar light, uh, I, I definitely sense that in the evangelical tradition where we, we idolize this moment of when you prayed to receive Christ and, um, and, and, and maybe not... Um, maybe not actually investing in the marriage of it. And so anyway, mm -hmm. that's the frame for that. I'm kind of questioning it a little bit and I'd like to hear your take on it. To kind of narrow the scope here, you're mostly talking about kiddos you started right. with. And that's right. Yeah. That's right. Particularly as, you know, my kids are <clears throat> growing up and. Uh, you yeah. sure hope they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the bills are going up for them. Yeah, yeah really. so raising the little whippersnappers and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just throw this out for kicks just for the in the beginning here. You know, um, maybe my are my folks talked about this when they were young, uh, but my three brothers and, my, and myself never really caught a whiff that uh, they were preoccupied with how, how they were raising us hmm. and how we were going to turn out. Hmm. Um, not, it doesn't mean that they were indifferent. Sure. Uh, and uh, I'm not even suggesting it was better. I, there's... Um, so that just some of my comments have in this background. There is a lot of data on helicopter parents. You know, they're always hovering over the kids because they want them to turn out wonderful. And uh, affluent families, um, almost building the resume of their child. So, so there's a tinge. I feel at, at my age, there's a tinge in parenting. The parents often feel that their their kids are a reflection on them. Mm. And while I'm sure there's some merit to that, I, I have a hunch my parents were maybe a little closer to the truth. Um, hmm. Because uh, the, I once heard a friend say, you know, when they turn out well, we take too much credit. When they take they turn out poorly, we take too much blame. Yeah. 
and they are um <laughs> the dense word dense word is sort of responsible moral agents if you want to put it that way now here's a fascinating thing as best i could tell you know the um puritans if i have it right i think it was age seven but somewhere in there i mean they grew up and felt what you're actually raising here yes they are children but they are what was called diminutive adults and it was they're on their way to adulthood by which about the age of seven between seven and nine they pretty much arrived yeah and we've often i've read anyway that they surmise that mary was probably 14 right around there when she became pregnant or conceived by the holy ghost and uh, so you you have in the late 1800s what is called uh, the word was coined called adolescence. Didn't exist before. You won't find it in the Bible. And if essentially what it did is it elongated the period of time in which kids are considered kids. Introduce things like the teenager. And, but, they're, but they're mostly treated uh, all these years as these are our kids. Whereas by the time Mary was 14... I mean, she was out of the home. She was an adult. And the, um, so the, sort of the background when, when we stumbled into this is um, these, these things sort of, uh, I remember Flannery O'Connor saying she grew up in the Christ-haunted South. So Christ was there, but sort of more haunts people's thinking than actually informs it and shapes it. Hmm. consciously and i'm sort of haunted by a few of these images uh, you know my folks wondering what if that was more normal um versus the amount of effort i see people obsessing whereas i'm not i've not yet read or not acquainted with any sort of empirical studies that suggest that kids who were raised, who were born in the 40s or 50s, have turned out worse than kids who were born to parents who are boomers, Gen X, millennials. I'm just not aware of it. And in fact, as we've talked about, as we've talked about here in these uh, podcasts, in terms of social behaviors, and social media, there's actually some retardation in terms of the ability to pay attention, the ability to wrestle with more complex issues. It's what's called the shallowing of neural pathways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I'd have, I don't think that the most parents I know are particularly adept at. Um, what that has to do with parenting uh i, I just don't i just think that the uh, the tsunami of social media and social devices is just um pretty much overwhelmed parents now i think there are things that can be done but I, but I'll, I'll point this out too so uh, uh there's the this series i think it's on cbs but it's called uh, this is us yep <laughs> And uh, now, by the way, we're watching him thinking, that ain't us, we're older. (laughs) (laughs) This is us. And actually, it has has excellent writers. It Um, does. You know, it skirts the line of a tad too much drama. But (laughs) the the most recent episode, the uh, couple uh, uh, has the adopted daughter, and then the daughter who's a junior in high school, they just discovered the junior in high school daughter went away, lied to them, went away for a weekend, slept with her boyfriend, so on and so forth. And it slips out because while she's taking driving lessons with her father in the passenger seat, on comes on a voicemail which plays, and it's uh, Malik, I think is his name. He's up at Harvard. He just goes, my bed is empty without you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So what started out was a father daughter. Let's go learn how to drive. Was stony silence in the car. Now, that happens all the time. But I find it fascinating that the approach of the parents. Now I don't expect them to think like Christians and what have you, but it was it was mostly therapeutic. Oh yeah, yep. Which I'm just not really sure about it. It's more it's more important that we bond with this with this uh, young adult right now. It's more important than blah blah blah. First of all, if you think of us, it's more important they know we're loved, and you think well. That horse has left the barn. If they don't, they're not persuaded that you're at that age that you, that you love them. But there was so little sense of, uh, now, now the father said, and she, you know, she's lost her phone. And then as he leaves the bedroom, he goes, and you'll not be seeing him uh, for quite some time. And she looks at him and goes, well, that will be a problem. Now, here's my point that I'm rambling toward. That does, in my opinion, encapsulate a great deal of what's changed when parents fixate on kids. I think the kids do better if they feel they grow up in a home where the mom and dad really loved one another and embodied that. Um, versus the mom and dad grew up with, hey, okay, let's do this, hey, blah, 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 blah. And the kids mm-hmm. feel like they're the center of attention. That's too much for a kid. And where the stuff will hit the fan is when the parents late in the game then say, well, now we're going to set up a boundary. And the child now is the parent telling the parent, well, that will be a problem. So, so yeah, having I said all that, fallen. yeah, I've. Uh, <clears throat> so here's here's would be my one cent, <laughs> better than two cents. First of all, we we don't see patterns in scripture. We often take things as, as promises. Train up a child, the way you go, and will not depart. Mm. And I've known a lot of parents who've been crushed by that verse. But they took it as a promise. We did X, Y, Z. We taught them the Bible. We, and I shouldn't put it in that kind of tone. They, they did the best they knew how. And then little Johnny or Joni runs off and completely abandons the thing. Or pretty much dispenses with it. Or if nothing else, just treats it as, a, as an interesting sideline. But nothing they take seriously. And the parents feel like, God did our part. Trained up a child. It's a pattern in scripture. Second, I'm, I, I was fascinated by um, a book I read years ago by Elizabeth Abbott. It's a big book, but it is really fascinating. It's called Sugar, A Bittersweet History. Now, what does that have to do with parenting? Well, the book goes, goes through this whole history of sugar because sugar before it could be refined and processed was a really rare, rare treat. Honey was more common. And she points out, and I think this is a good point, that Hebrew parents taught their children to love scripture by coupling it with honey. So we read in Psalms, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And here's my point, Pat. The marital gospel is an embodied gospel. Explanation tails behind it, but doesn't lead. Whatever parents embody is going to talk louder to a child than whatever the parent explains. And furthermore, Hebrew parents had the child feel and taste something in their body and their tongue and their mouth 
of which we do get Hebrew words for praise and giving glory to God from the mouth. The mouth tastes the sweetness that's coupled with the word of God. I remember leading a person to faith years ago. And then when they read, let the marriage bed be undefiled, they went, oh, dang. That wasn't sweet to them. Because every, most everything they had been inundated by over the last 20 years had been what Simone they talked about that popular media reverses the poles. So fictional evil, she put it, becomes delightful and wondrous. Uh, these two meet and they, they're not married, they're not anything. The next thing you know, they're in bed and it's just simply off the charts sex. Meanwhile, she goes, fictional good depicted in, in media is boring and flat. I would recommend for parents to find ways, A, first of all, I think parents would do well to not focus on the kids, but to focus on what do you actually embody? Do you embody the gospel or do you explain it a lot? Second, to couple that, any sort of instruction with something that delights, it's wondrous. So I'll tell you a last story and then we'll, it's our son, Stephen. We had some good friends and we used to go over Friday night and, you know, watch TV and the kids go play. And but when, when Stephen was six, uh, the father, who was always having fun with us, gave Stephen uh, uh, some ice cream. In Stephen's eyes, I literally, they lit up. <laughs> it was wondrous. And of course, we are at that point, one of these parents is like, oh my God, what have you done? <laughs> because we, you know, we didn't want to put him on that stuff. Now, I don't think in the case of Stephen, it would have made much difference now that we watched the way he's turned out. Um, yeah, he's, he's bouncing off the walls all the time anyway. He has a jumpy leg that I'm sure if they could harness that, they could power 42 cities in the Midwest. <laughs> but but uh, we don't couple wondrousness or wonder with what we explain with the Bible. We just explain the Bible. That, that's been my experience anyway. So parents are always like, should we set up a family altar? I'm going, what are you talking about? Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> oh, we're going to sit down, we're going to teach him scripture at night. A good, a good film on this, there's actually, actually a better book is A River Runs Through It. And um, it's probably a 25 year old film, but the film, but this, the story is of uh, two young lads who were raised, I believe in Montana. It's about fly fishing. I cannot remember the narrator's name, but he was raised under a very strict Presbyterian father who would teach them the word. The uh, ne'er-do-well sons played by Robert Redford. And uh, I think Robert Redford, yeah. And, uh, but the older son eventually, uh, essentially left the faith. He went to teach in the University of Chicago literature. But a lot of it had to do with here are these parents raising their children to love Jesus and know the word. And they might have meant well. But if you were to watch the film, there's nothing wondrous in what goes on in that home with that Presbyterian pastor and his wife. And there's nothing really wondrous in their marriage. You go, oh my gosh, these people really love one another. I mean, they're they're like solid, they're towering oaks. Uh, but the guy who often is depicted in the film having the most fun is the young son who's off drinking and carousing. And their only connection is fly fishing. Uh, I think that, I think the parents would do better if they would first of all ask a parent to set the children aside and say, listen, if we didn't have children, what do we embody? in our marriage because that's what the kids are going to sniff out in the long run and i've done a fair amount of counseling with young adults who have confided that 
they didn't want their parents' faith. Now, I think there's something appropriate to that. But this goes beyond what's appropriate. They're essentially saying they were all about truth, but it was meaningless. And I often feel with parents that they just relaxed a little bit. I like, you know, the Puritans often said, pray as you can. By that they meant, if you start to throw out a facade, feeling this is the way we ought to pray, well, there's some merit to that, it's going to come off as phony. And, you know, kids just become very... I don't know. They just, they sniff that stuff out. And I think if parents relaxed a little bit and, and, and did a little more, how are we doing? Because those kids are called a gift from the Lord. And a gift from the Lord means you could lose them tomorrow. And I, we know the divorce rates for parents who lose a child are troubling and what they're basically saying is that child was the glue yeah and that glue is too much once you become sort of self-conscious somewhere after the age of seven to nine you become conscious i'm holding this thing together that's terrible so a couple things i'd like to jump into then Mm -hmm. Um, that's yeah the frame is very helpful one of those is thinking about, um, let, let's say let's say you actually are fostering that decently well. You mm-hmm. know, um, you're bodying that and, and uh, you don't feel as wrapped up in, in your kids. They're not necessarily the center or the glue. Um, what, what about uh, if, if that is in place? You know, what, what about other things like scripture memory? or mm-hmm. Bible reading, those types of things. Um, practices that are probably pretty healthy in a personal life and um, you know, could spill over to the kids. You know, what about things like that? Well, again, um, that's, that's a good point. Again, uh, here's, here's an adage, maybe this will help. Don't explain beyond what you actually embody. So that if in a natural way, in a conversation with your child, there is this seamless thread right through scripture and then back to the conversation, then scripture memory, I think, and and meditation more importantly, although meditation does require memory, is very helpful. So, for example, years ago, with uh, whatever kiddos, we 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 just had a little private conversation. But we basically said, uh, "Here's ten cards. On the back of each card, right? What do you think are the uh, in the order the things you love? Have some fun, and please don't BS me." So. <laughs> But just write one word. So just go, go. It could be sports. could be X, Y, Z. <clears throat> then the other, then I say, now flip the card over and write, you know, one, two, three, four, five. What would you hope one day would be the order of your loves? Because uh, we know that Jesus said to love the Lord your God, then love your neighbor as yourself. Beyond that, that's what Augustine said, that we're going to do what we love. So I looked at this person and said, and you, so in the end, you're going to do what you love. And I'm going to love you either way, but you're going to do what you love. I'm just curious what, what you would hope for. Now, you see, I just went seamlessly, or tried to, into Scripture rather than um, um, Well, you know, the Bible says, blah, 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 blah. And the kid rolls her eyes. They go, yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says that. Um, So that's one way to do it is 
But here's why I point out that I didn't I didn't sit down and go now how can I get the Bible into their life? Mm-hmm. I have I more had it was more a non-conscious almost. Here's the situation with this person. What what have I actually learned or embodied? Well, I've, I feel I've learned a lot about in my own life and my own tensions and my own struggles that I sin fundamentally due to disordered loves because we are what we love at the end of the day. We're going to do what we love. Given the restraints of, what I call it, finitude, finances, and physical. So you might say, you can't jump over the moon. I got it. But within those uh, restraints, I mean, essentially, uh, one person once said, the only reason we're good, a lot of us, is we can't afford to be bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. And so you, but once you're, I'm not picking on the guy necessarily, but I don't find him to be a terribly attractive figure. But once you're Jeff Bezos, you can start with this kind of a nerdy looking guy in Seattle who wanted to sell books to, uh, you can send with impunity. Because you can afford to be bad. And you can take half of your fortune and give it to Mackenzie, his ex-wife. Who cares? Doesn't, doesn't crimp my lifestyle. And I can be off with this person who has obviously had some work done on her body. You do this all with impunity. So for me, this has been most helpful so that when I came into the situation, I'm not conjuring something. There's something that's just, just oozing out of the body that's saying, perhaps it'd be most helpful for this person if we just talked about what this person currently loves. Because I've been there. And what they hope to love one day. And I think this person would say that was sort of a breakthrough in them because it, it signified I'm a realist, but love also hopes. So I'm not saying, yeah, you do that, man, you're going to screw your life up. And, but, but, but it came out of, I just don't think because most of my friends I know have not really gone deep enough into the, marital gospel is not deep enough in their body if it's not deep enough in their body then your brain is your left hemisphere primarily must be frank is conjuring up principles and constructs and abstractions and teachings and truths and so on and so forth to help these kids grow up and train them up in the way they go so they won't depart from the faith or as i joked as a pastor so they won't one day come home and say they're pregnant and embarrass you Mm. <laughs> so you mentioned you know seven, seven or eight the age seven or eight and mm-hmm. sort of as that kind of like age of knowing uh and and you mentioned that in the past i've i've thought about that <clears throat> as uh just sort of this like you know uh, my my focus is on raising an adult i mean this this to think i'm raising it someone going into their teens slash adolescence and then they'll be an adult at 21 18 36 you know uh i think is the wrong wrong frame so i've i've understood that from the perspective of you know raising my kid with responsibility and freedom giving them responsibility freedom ultimately teaching them how to exercise dominion that's been helpful for me in that frame what about what about when it comes to you know accepting faith and and for, for a very specific example you know praying to receive christ at mm-hmm. a young age um yeah. i think for me it was like three you know and and, it, and i think on my daughter who's three you know it's like mm-hmm. there's there's no way that she gets that and there's no way that i really got it um, oh that i thought you were about to say you <laughs> you just said this keen spiritual insight your daughter don't doesn't have when you were when you were three <laughs> that's right <laughs> So I want to clarify that for listeners. <laughs> so, so what's the, I don't, you know, 
I mean, do you do you think a kid really understands at that age, or is that something you really walk down at more of a seven or eight, you know, type thing? Well, a kid doesn't because a kid is a baby goat. Uh, a child, <laughs> uh, all kidding aside. <clears throat> um, yes, of course you could. That's that's part of the mystery of the marital gospels. You don't know when. You've got to have ears to hear, eyes to see. You've got to have, I mean, Jesus said, bring these children here. This is, they embody a, a lot of what it's like. Now, he wasn't saying, <clears throat> I really love for Christians to act childish. He was saying there is an innocence, a willing trust. We may know from studies, children are only born with two fears, falling and loud noises. Every other fear that you have today is learned. There's a lot of personal opinion, especially as a pastor. I saw a lot of children had acquired of a lot of fears from their fearful parents, the secular world, the secular university, the state schools, um, this, that. I mean, we got to keep them away from all that stuff. So they've acquired all these fears. I, I think if I think if you embody the marital gospel, first of all, you understand your porous, P-O-R-O-U-S, permeable. This stuff is all wafting through us all the time anyway. It's better if that's the truth and for your children also is to teach them discernment and wisdom and to walk in the ancient paths of wisdom. Well, that means you've got to embody that, first of all. And so if you embody it, you, God might very well speak to you when you're talking to your three-year-old daughter and say, she's ready. Hmm. Hmm. So you don't push the bloom. Yeah. But you... Nurture the bud. And, um, but yeah, I don't think there's any, for, you know, for what it's worth, just one man's opinion. I don't think there's any great advantage one way or another. I, I think what you have, because there are a lot of people talk about being cradle Christians versus conversion Christians, and they're mm -hmm. both legitimate. Um, the challenge in both is to, nurture their loves and they're going to more you know they say behavior is more caught than taught so they're going to catch from you and your wife more than you're going to teach them they're going to absorb more that, that you embody than you explain that's helpful yeah that makes sense. I, I think it also removes some of that 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 pressure. I, I I like what you said earlier about this this focus that's not uh, focus more on the heart. Yes, but also focus more on embodying. You know, when when I when I when I listen to parenting advice or you know any parenting classes or books, and there's an emphasis on. Um, the practices in raising your child, I think that's those are those are actually a lot of them are really good and probably very helpful. Um, but you know, one interesting thing that you don't typically hear is something I think you addressed earlier, which is actually the danger of being overly intentional about your child, but not embodying, and how I think you you highlighted that can actually cause more damage than if you if you weren't doing those things uh, without embodying. So let's take, let's take talking about the Bible. If, if you're trying to be intentional and do Bible stories, but you don't have a foundation of scripture reading yourself, then your kids are probably going to see through that. Uh, That's right. I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, I actually grew up. I remember every single morning I'd come down the stairs. My parents at a, I don't know, decently early age, you know, I, I, I knew how to get up, go have breakfast. Um, so once, 
Once I was old enough to do that on my own, I remember coming down and every single morning I'd see the office door just cracked open, the the light on, and I knew my mom was having her prayer time. You know, it was just mm-hmm. e- literally every morning without fail. And like that alone just stood out to me as something so powerful of, of really like this thing is real, you know? She, she believes with all of her heart that this thing is real because <laughs> she, especially a, a, as a kid growing up, like I don't, I'm not going to sacrifice that sleep for that. <laughs> there you go. So, so I see that. I see what you're saying, you know, and it's not like my mom taught me how to pray necessarily, or we had those things together. It was, I just, I saw that every single day. Okay. Listeners uh, take that to the bank. So there you go. I mean, why did Jesus disciples ask him, teach us how to pray? Why? Because they saw him praying. And you, your story, your mother is bingo. And I don't think your mother woke up every morning saying, I got to do this. So little Pat will grow up and right. love to pray. I love to pray. That's that. Yeah. Just my tell you what, it moves me. I, so, so tomorrow is the anniversary of my father's death. That's been four, 14 years ago now. And, uh, you know, I was reflecting on the other day. I don't remember as much of what he explained to me as much as what he embodied. Those mm. things, they have residual. And, and if you don't, I, th- I don't think also what parents seem to appreciate is that there's a rounding out that happens with a lot of kids. Yeah, I use the word too. But <clears throat> when they get a little older, they they can come back around, so to say. I love the Mark Twain quote. quote. <laughs> he goes, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's such a good quote. <laughs> and I think that that's a way of saying, um, <clears throat> yeah, listen, the jury is, the final chapter has not been written on whatever age they are and whatever they're doing. You know, for those who are sort of, this might help parents visualize, I think what I'm trying to say is, so when um, little Mikey comes up, popping out of the uterus, parents might do well to go home and say, okay, we're gonna write the word number 99%. Okay, so we have 99% dominion over little Mikey. It's true. When he poops or cries, he now has dominion. <laughs> Indeed. But he does a whole lot of sleeping, and he ain't rolling, and he's not doing a whole lot of stuff. He's not even smiling at us yet. Um, and he also thinks he's the greatest thing since mayonnaise, because everywhere he goes, if he can't remember it, everyone lights up when they see him. We're going to have to work on that in the long run, but for the time being right now, <laughs> he thinks he's the gold. He thinks he's Buddha. Now, what if every year you drop that number down so that when you get to age, let's say 14, Mr. Twain and uh, Virgin Mary and all the rest, you write the number 5%. We have 5% dominion. What would that do to parenting? Over those 14 years, I'm trying to do the math, so that's a drop off of 95%, 95 divided by 14. Well, yeah, I, I even think, too, there's probably some <laughs> some significant curve in there. It's, I can't imagine it's just linear. Yeah, that's good. That would be fun. All, all I'm getting at is, so where I struggled back to my father's, we never came to an adult-to-adult friendship. And the marital gospel is Jesus marrying his bride, the church. That's And they, it all becomes all in all, 1 Corinthians 15 to 28. That's adult-to-adult. Adam and Eve were created as adults to embody that, first of all. 
most marriages I've seen are not adult to adult. One plays more, tilts more toward the role of parent. The other spouse tilts more toward child. And so they raise children to remain children, except the child in the marriage of the parents often then will acquiesce in that therapeutic to be friends with the child. But in the end, all in all, never in the hand that in that nuclear family never become adult to adult. So even toward the end, at his dying days, there were conversations I couldn't have with my father, because he was the adult, I was the child. You you do not you do not talk that way. You do not raise these subjects. I raise them. Hmm. And these this is very subtle, but you, I see it in. Uh, Marriages, it might be the, uh, <clears throat> you know, we've done a lot, Kathy and I have done a lot of counseling and marital counseling, but it could be as simple as um, the couple is struggling, the wife begins to emote some of the pain, and I've watched the husband go, now it's not exactly true, honey. And he sort of, quote, sets her straight. Now, parents ought to do that sometimes. But an adult to adult, there would be far more self-suspicion. What Wilberforce talked about, that, that the, the husband would look at the wife and go, so this, this pain you're emoting, are you saying that I'm somewhat the cause of it? How? In what ways? What is it I do? See, that's how adults talk. Mm-hmm. You want to train a your children for them one day you'll always be dad that's an honorific title but the deepest part of our being if they grow up is we're all part of the bride we're all going to be adult and if you embody that on earth you want one day as uh, I feel I have with our six adult Adults, that's the best way to, you know, Mark. Uh, so Mark is 30-something, and he's going to kill me for saying that, but I hate to get it wrong. <laughs> I believe he's 37. <laughs> but, and, and Mark can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but it certainly feels like we are, are adult to adult, and I cherish it, and I feel that way with his wife, and I feel that way with, Stephen and Sarah, and I feel that way with Pat and Jennifer, because there's a feel to it. There is a there is a a level. Now, of course, they respect us as their parents, but it's adult to adult, and so it'd be in the same way if one day one of them were the governor of Maryland. There would be an honor and a respect given to that office, but a a ruler like a governor would want to have adult-to-adult relationships, friendships, with those with whom he's working. And I think the parents would do well, better, if they sort of had that in mind, had in mind that dominion is this, that'd be interesting how you graphed out that number, but if he, but if he said, "Listen, I don't know how we're going to get there, but if, but at fourteen, we have five percent. That's the, that's when I find a lot of parents all of a sudden ratchet up the dominion. Yeah, because little Johnny and little Jill not turn out the way they hope. Doesn't seem to love Jesus. Spends way too much time on their mobile device. Maybe we're going to take it. Maybe we're going to bracket the hours. We got to get them to a camp. We got to get them together. We got to get them fired up about Jesus. Yep, yep. I'm going to go back to something you said about. Um that, that scenario with the husband and wife, because I think, I think there's an important, uh, differentiator there as well. You mentioned early on talking about the therapeutic, particularly that this is us. And, and I think it'd be helpful to, to 
maybe clarify a little bit, you know, the, what you said is the example there, which could be husband and wife could also be parent to child. What you said was, uh, how, how has what I've done hurt you? That's, that's different than, than the therapeutic approach, which would be, Oh, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I hurt your feelings. Yeah. And, And so as, as either as a husband to a wife or a parent to a child, the therapeutic approach would be just that, you know, what's most important in this situation is your feelings, regardless of the scenario. I'm, I'm so sorry. But what you said was subtly different, but I think importantly different, which is let's, let's just have an open conversation that I recognize you're hurt, but I'm also recognizing, well, there, there is maybe this, this child, this person, this spouse is overly sensitive. That doesn't change the fact that they're hurt. But it's not my job to correct that or, more importantly, to assume that. My job is to love you and to, 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 to have a conversation about it. And most importantly, to be open to the, to the fact that maybe I did cause that That's and maybe it. my actions are out of place. That's, that is different than simply acquiescing or, or accommodating feelings and, and stopping the conversation at the accommodation. Bingo. Bingo. See... Once again, listeners, what Pat says, you take to the bank. The rest of this stuff, you, you uh, chaff, chaff, win. Uh, so to, to underscore Pat's point, uh, many, many years ago, uh, David Brooks wrote a good uh, article in the New York Times, a column. You can Google it. It's called The Limits of Empathy. And he cites some studies. So I went and looked at those studies. And to Pat's point, empathy certainly has value but today in the therapeutic it's all about empathizing i feel your pain what have we done oh honey that must be hard but what the studies show is empathy is a lousy motivator to change here to make changes it it does not produce impetus to say well maybe i need to change on the part of the person who take the daughter and she's gone off on the weekend and Empathy will not produce in her. Maybe, maybe I should. Yeah, I mean, I told my parents I'm sorry I did that. Which, again, we're back to. <clears throat> there is a sorrow the Bible talks about that leads to repentance, not a sorrow that says, "Hey, I'm really sorry." Yeah, most why am I mostly sorry? Uh, number one, I got caught. Number two, it's obviously hurt you. Parents go. Yeah, it really has, honey. I mean, that's not what Jesus would do. And you go, hmm, yeah, yeah. I'm not particularly clear why he wouldn't. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to remain chaste. Uh, I'm not particularly clear why on that either. I've never understood any of these whys. I've never understood why you say parents, uh, the Bible says there's only two sexes, two genders. I don't understand that either. Why? I have friends who are having operations. I have friends who are gay or lesbian. And you just say, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. See, the parents don't embody any of this. They embody empathy. Empathy has merits, but there are limits to it. And those limits are it doesn't produce what's technically are called paradigm shifts, fundamental deep-seated shifts to go, maybe telling my parents that we have a problem is actually more my problem. I mean, I'm glad they understand, but that only that has this, that doesn't have a lot of cash value to it. The better value is maybe I'm a problem. Maybe I have some problems deep in there. Hmm. Now, it's difficult for a child who is raised in a home where they're believers if they never saw the parents confess sin to one another. If they never saw the parents confess sin to them. If they never saw their parents praying. Parents just didn't embody this stuff. So I was raised in a home where um, my father, for all the wonderful things he did, never admitted to any wrong. So it's funny today, but when he uh, 
when I came home from college one time, I parked way down the end of the driveway, but next morning he gets off to work and drives his car right into my car. And uh, when I wake up, <laughs> my mom says, because of course I was in college, so I didn't wake up till whatever, nine o'clock. <laughs> Dad's really mad when he gets home. He's going to tell you, he's going, why the hell did he park the damn car in the driveway? <laughs> 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 oh my god! What the? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you want me to park? Oh, you know we laugh about it now, but that's. <clears throat> but see, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm not singling out my father. I've done the same thing, but it's just the first impulse ought to be what Wilberforce said: self-suspicion. Self-suspicion would say. Man, I'm so used to doing this that I didn't even think twice. I didn't even look at the rearview mirror. You know, around the car, there could be a five-year-old playing there one morning. I, I understand why he parked there. Yeah, dented both our cars. In the long run, do I want him, this kid who just got home from college and it's 1973, doing a podcast one day in 2022, telling the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called the uh, right hemisphere, widely vigilant, long haul, big picture view. And maybe parents, they're not going to read McGilchrist's work, but they, you know, maybe they'll consider some of the things we've talked about here because the long range, wide angle view is um, sure they're going to cry over spilled milk. But I'd wager if you give them a lecture at that moment about uh, how, what, what were you thinking, that, that's gonna, they're going to remember that. 